Okay, that'll do it for the um, the third video that we watched. Um, so let's see, we've we watched one, two, three, we're halfway done. So the question was, what does Paul mean when he says not to let anyone judge us in regard to keeping the Sabbath? And I'm sure that most of you watching this YouTube video or listening to this uh, podcast have probably heard at one point in time a sermon from a pastor or a Bible study group where most often the 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 angle that's being pushed is that we gentile christians in the church should not let anyone outside of us judge us for the things that we're not doing so again typically this is described as uh christian gentiles feeling like they're being judged for not keeping torah so it's no secret by now that many messianics are kind of vocal in the way they describe their Torah keeping. Hey, we should be keeping Torah. Hey, we should be keeping Sabbath. We should be keeping kosher. We should be keeping the Passover. All of these things. And and then sooner or later, that message, we should be keeping Torah, you know, drifts over into Christian circles, Bible studies, uh, seminary seminaries, uh, church Sunday morning services, things like that. And so um, your average Gentile Christian starts to feel this kind of this, I don't know if it's a little bit of pressure or conviction or confusion. You know, those those Messianic people are saying that we should be keeping Torah. You know, on the one hand, I, I read the Bible and I'm thinking, okay, that kind of makes sense. But on the other hand, I feel a little bit of a judgment. I mean, because after all, they say that, you know, they seem to be saying that God doesn't love you as much as he loves us if you're not keeping these things. So, you know, what does that make of us Gentile Christians? And so, they, you know, they go to their pastor and ask him, hey, you know, these Messianics I read online or, or you know, went to their synagogue once, and they said that I should be keeping Torah even though I'm a Gentile, but, you know, what do I do? And the pastor says, hey, let me tell you what Paul has to say. Paul says, don't let anyone judge you regarding keeping Sabbath. Right? You don't have to keep the Sabbath. Don't let anyone judge you for not keeping it. Those are just shadows. The, the reality is in, in, in Jesus. So don't worry about not keeping those things. So that's the way it's usually spun. But historically, that doesn't seem to match with what would have taken place in Paul's day. And so that's why I put my commentary here the way that I did. There, I know there's another way we could look at this passage, but I don't want to mention it just now. So first, what I'd like to do is, um, those of you with me in the live class, if you've got any questions or comments on this on this topic, um, now's your chance. Let me know. What do you guys think about the topic? About what, what's your perspective on, or I could ask you, have you ever felt judged by a Messianic? Most of you, I assume, are actually kind of already Messianic, but before you were, did you feel like those Messianics were judging you? And if you did, then did you go to your pastor and what did he tell you? That type of thing. So uh, talk to me. Wow. Silence again. Okay. I'm beginning to wonder, is this thing working? <laughs> is, did Skype cut out on me? I hope it didn't. Um, I'm, I'm guessing that uh, all of you are just so engaged in the topic that you uh, just want to hear what's going on. Um, so maybe if you have comments later on, uh, again, at the very end of the, of the whole study, after we watched all six videos, um, I'll again open up the microphone and, and give you opportunity to uh, talk about any of the topics that we've discussed thus far. But right now, I'm hearing that or I'm not hearing anything, so I'm guessing that no one wants to, to engage at this moment. That, to me, is the light to go forward to the next video. So let's keep going then. All right. Uh, next question. What does the Bible say about Christian liberty? We already know that one of the central themes of Passover is freedom. And I talked about it earlier, about it's the paradigm for our own personal 
uh, uh, deliverance from Egypt. Even if you're not Jewish, you have to agree that if you're a Christian, then the Passover story should be important at the level that you uh, would identify with the Jewish people who were in bondage under the Pharaoh and needed to be set free by the blood of the Lamb that uh, that day. So, at the very least, you would I, I'm hoping you would draw a connection between that aspect of the story. Let's um, watch the fourth video. What's the Bible say about Christian liberty? Uh, this one's um, about the same length as the first, uh, the third, third one we just watched. Okay, so you guys ready? Here we go. Short questions, short answers by Torah teacher Ariel and eBible. Yeah, I did it. They did it. We did it together. We, we answered this question together, right? Let's take a look at this particular question. What does the Bible say about Christian liberty? eBible's question, and here's my answer. Here's our first passage. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's Galatians 5.1, rendered from the ESV, and that's the verse we read in our liturgy for tonight. And this is the question. What exactly is the slavery that Paul speaks of here? We know that to be in Messiah is to be truly free. We can recall Yeshua, Jesus' declaration from John 8.36, where he says, If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. It's rendered from the King James Version. I like that rendering. How is it then that these Galatian Gentiles wish to return to the slavery that marked their former manner of life? Why would they want to do that? Can't they see that anything less than a complete commitment to the true gospel is not good news at all and will eventually result in slavery? Why are their eyes so blinded? As is to be expected, historic Christianity interprets the slavery of verse 1 as a return to Judaism, a return to living in the confines of Torah observance or law observance, a return to Sabbaths, keeping kosher, keeping the feasts, and of course that painful commandment called circumcision. So according to traditional Christian theology, obedience to Torah is equal to bondage. You can see my little graphic there of the guy with the you know, big weight of Torah on his back and bondage over him as a Torah scroll. However, when we go back and study the historical and sociological context of the book of Galatians more closely, we're going to discover that the standard Christian interpretation of this verse doesn't actually fit with Paul's view of Torah, and most importantly, it does not follow from the scriptural view of the Torah. What is the biblical view of Torah? When we read it, here's what we're going to find. The Torah is not bondage. Let me say that one more time. The Torah is not bondage. However, if one places their trust in ethnicity and or Torah obedience, then that person is truly a slave to their old nature, whether they know it or not. And that, of course, is something that we have to reckon with when we're reading through passages like this. The battle lines were actually being drawn not between the relevance of Torah versus the relevance of Yeshua, as I understand the passage. Rather, the lines were being drawn between the necessity of Jewish identity for covenant inclusion versus the necessity of falling on the mercy and grace of Messiah for genuine covenant membership and forgiveness of sins. You understand that? There's a contest. We have to decide in our interpretation what the contest was, and therefore we can make a practical application once we figured out 
the background behind the text and the context of what Paul is actually writing about and why he described the contest the way he did. Paul doesn't need to denigrate the Torah by calling it a yoke of slavery because that's actually not the focus of the argument in the first place, even though those are the words. As we shall see in the next verse, which is needed to develop the context of verse 1, circumcision is the fulcrum by which membership into first century Israel was being weighed. Now I know some of you are saying, but Ariel, circumcision is a commandment. It's Torah. I know, I know. Hang on. We have to define this word circumcision. So let's do that first. The Galatian Gentiles were at the crossroads of decision. Would they invest their faith in Jewish ethnicity or would they invest their faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died and rose again? Look at Galatians 2.21. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Notice the verbiage. Now compare Galatians 5.2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. All right, why did I bring these two verses up? Let's notice something. In 2.21, it's Christ versus the law. That's the verbiage that's being described. But in 5.2, it's Christ versus circumcision. So, After studying the Jewish background of Paul's life and knowing his propensity for carefully reasoned arguments, it should be amply clear that Paul did not mean Torah observance when he used the word law in Galatians 2.21. Yeah, I bet you didn't know that. And that's how we're going to have to develop the context. By the same token, it should be amply clear that he does not simply mean physical circumcision when he uses the word circumcision in Galatians 5.2. I bet you didn't know that either. All right, let's put these two back together and we'll see this. I'm going to flesh this out in my commentary, so don't worry if you're a little challenged or confused at this point in time. What are our conclusions? And I'll I'll explain myself in the conclusion. In Galatians 5, 1 and 2, as well as Galatians 2, 21 that we read earlier, Paul states that if the Galatians wish to continue down the road constructed by those false teachers, the road described by these terms of first century Judaism as the law under the law, works of the law, and circumcision, all of those terms kind of work together. If they do that and reject the free offer of genuine and lasting covenant membership into Israel as offered by God and outlined in the Tanakh, the Old Testament, then, using the language of Galatians 5, 1 and 2, the work done by Yeshua's cross will indeed have no value for them at all. I know I have to pause there and kind of let you guys uh, digest that. The first century Judaisms were thinking that the Torah was for Jews only and that covenant membership was performed by their Jewish ethnicity or it was secured by their Jewish ethnicity. So that's the road of decision that these Gentiles had to contend with. Do we convert, become Jews, and then become covenant members and receive Torah? Biblical freedom in this context does not mean free from law. Again, knowing that Yeshua set us free from sin, its proclivities, its bondage, and its ultimate penalty helps us to understand Paul's teachings on this subject. It's the context of what Paul's talking about when he refers to freedom. The paradigm set by the Exodus narrative teaches us that sin, which is bondage, prevents us from truly worshiping God the way he deserves to be worshiped. Speaking for God, Moses said, let my people go so that they may serve me. Go back and read your Bibles again to the book of Exodus. That's the paradigm of bondage. Once Yeshua makes us alive in him and sets us free, we are then free to worship God properly without the fear of condemnation or bondage to sin. Do you understand the paradigm now? We're free to worship God. And what does that freedom look like? 
it's not free from from obligation to God. It's now free too. It means this means that we're free to walk into Torah the way God intended it to be walked out. What does that look like? It's an imitation of Messiah by the Spirit and to the glory of God the Father. Omain, Omain. Check out my podcasts, which are available on iTunes. You can search for me in the store under the search term Ariel Hanavi. But if you prefer to watch your theology, check out my YouTube channel. Subscribe to my YouTube channel and click the bell for notifications. New content is added weekly or even daily. Okay, and that was the uh, fourth video in which we talked about the topic, what does the Bible say about Christian liberty? And of course, again, this is the Passover season, and that's why we have this special Passover show that you're um, uh, engaged in right now. My name is Arlen Lyman Hanavi. I'm a Torah teacher at Congregation Kehilat Tunuma in Thornton, Colorado, and you're listening to the Live Internet Studies, the special Passover uh, season of our deliverance, uh, seasons, uh, season of our freedom, and um, this is the um, uh, movie night 2021 special uh, show, and we've been watching videos related to Passover that I put together and having discussions about that. I've got my live class with me in the class in the uh, study right now, and um, I ask some questions and and they give me some answers and we're just kind of uh, discussing this thing together. Um, so if this is something you'd like to engage in on a weekly basis, um, why not join us for the live internet studies? We're going to be having the studies um, beginning on uh, April the 5th on Monday night. We're moving from the Saturday night to the Monday night, and so I invite everyone out who's watching this YouTube video right now or listening to this iTunes podcast to join us on our new time, our new day, the time doesn't change, 7 p.m. to about 8 p.m. Central Time, that's still the same, but the new night will be Monday night, so it'll be kind of a Monday night live uh, type event uh, starting April 5th. 2021. As I also mentioned, we're taking a break for the Passover. So by the time you're watching this video on, say, the 20, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get this uploaded by the 26th or so of, of, of March, um, Passover will be upon us. And so for that whole week, 27th through the 4th or so, and which Easter is going to fall as well, I'm not going to have a live show. So um, just be aware of that. No live internet study. Just go back and watch reruns of my shows and enjoy your Passover and your Resurrection Day or Easter as you call it. But we'll pick up our study again uh, the day after, um, the Monday after Resurrection Day or Easter. All right. So those of you with me in the live class, um, what does the Bible say about Christian liberty? Um, uh, now is your chance to um, tell me what you think about this particular topic or ask questions or clarifications. Uh, I've already st- stated my stay, uh, and um, we'll go from there. So uh, whoever would like to say anything, feel free to say, say something. All right. Maybe it's that those you're, you're afraid of going first and that I'm going to cut you off. I'm, whoever starts speaking first, then I'll just uh, say, okay, this person, you can go ahead and continue. Um, or if two people speak at the same time, then I'll just pick one and we'll wait our turn. Everyone can get a chance. Uh, if not, you guys are unusually shy, uh, and that's okay as well. Uh, maybe you're just, like I said, so um, engaged in the topic that um, you're speechless. 
no, I, I know there's a lot to, uh, to, to um, digest here, and we're hitting quite a few topics. So if, if at the end you want to say something, let me know, then uh, I'm fine with that as well. If not, let's move on to the next uh, video topic. Since we started talking about circumcision uh, we, uh, in the previous video, and we're kind of working our way into that, we've got two, the two last videos are going to talk about that physical circumcision and spiritual circumcision. Um, so the first one, the fifth video, what does it mean to be circumcised in Christ? I think most of you understand what the answer is already, but uh, let's watch the short little video. This one really is pretty short. Let me see how long this one is. Um, yeah, this one really is literally two and a half minutes, three minutes. Let's watch this one and then um, uh, we'll see what we have to say, okay? You ready? Here we go. Welcome to A Minute or Two with the Word. I'm your host, Torah Teacher Ariel, where every week or so, we take a look at a relevant passage of Scripture together as Jews and Gentiles in Messiah. What he's trying to get us to understand is that God has the optimal man in mind when he talks about circumcision both from an outward and an inward perspective. Recall from reading Genesis 17 that God commands outward circumcision as a sign of the ongoing covenant that God made with Abraham, and that Abraham himself is the paradigm for salvation, right? Justification. Therefore, the sign of circumcision on the outside is to be a, an outward sign of an inward reality from the very beginning. God was telling Abraham to become circumcised in Genesis 17. But recall from reading your Bible that Abraham had already received justification, if we can use that term and have it refer to salvation. He'd already received the status way back in Genesis 15, two chapters prior to his receiving physical circumcision. Thus, the important lesson for us to recall, remember as we move into Romans is that Abraham was already a saved individual when he received physical circumcision. So he wasn't taking on outward circumcision in order to secure his salvation or any such thing. It simply became the, the outward sign pointed towards something greater. And indeed, we know from studying that physical circumcision was to demonstrate that Abraham was not going to bring about the promises that God was making with him, right? The promise of multiplicity that you read about earlier in, in chapter 17, about the, the increasing of his offspring and, and uh, you know, things like that. Abraham was not going to bring this about by his own power. Rather, it was not by the flesh. Instead, it was the by the power of the circumcised flesh, by the power of the circumcised heart, by the, which, in other words, it was by the power of the Spirit of God himself. And that's why the, the object lesson of circumcision came into Abraham's life at the time that it did. He became circumcised so that he could also demonstrate to God, I'm not going to bring this promise to pass by sleeping with Hagar. In other words, that's of the flesh. That's a plan of flesh. Okay, that'll do it for the uh, fifth video uh, in our live internet studies topics tonight. Um, the question was, what does it mean to be circumcised in Christ? And I hope you're understanding that, from my understanding of this phrase, circumcised in Christ, that um, 
I'm trying to convey the idea that circumcised in Christ simply means that your heart is circumcised. It means you're a believer. It means that you have been set free from your own personal sin and shame. You've experienced your Passover, uh, and your Passover lamb is Messiah, and it's his blood that cleanses you. And the, your heart is that picture of the door. If you remember from the Passover story, the uh, uh, Israelites were commanded to lay the lamb and to dip um, dip some of the blood and sprinkle it on the doorposts of their house, on the lintels, so that it formed a visible sign on the outside of the house, and the Israelites were to be on the inside. And then, if you recall from reading the story or watching the movies or whatever your resource is to be familiar with the story, that the death angel went through Egypt that night, and if there was a house where there was no blood, then the death angel went in and slew the firstborn. If there was blood, then he passed by or he passed over. He skipped that house. That house was protected by the blood of the Passover lamb. I think most Christians are readily aware of the pictures that are being painted by the Passover story and how they apply to them personally. The circumcision uh, in Christ, uh, you know, the circumcision of the heart, is that God's death angel still passes over throughout the entire earth. One day, there will be a judgment of all mankind, and it will be a final judgment that will decide their place in eternity. But when that time comes, the death angel, God's angel that is sent to look at the hearts, which is the doorway uh, that was being represented by the, the Passover story, the heart is that doorway to the individual. If the blood of the lamb is on your heart, right, Yeshua, then death will pass over you. And instead of being sent off into eternal death and punishment by God himself, you will go on into eternal life with God. You will live with him eternally and with Messiah. You will live, just like those in the Exodus story went on to uh, uh, live. They didn't die, and they uh, were set free from Egypt. So that's what's going on here. Jesus' blood, the blood of lamb, is applied to the doorway of our heart. That's what it means to be circumcised in Christ. The cutting away of the foreskin of the heart. The cutting away of that which prohibits us from uh, properly identifying and having a right relationship with God. Circumcision of the flesh is that outward sign of this particular inward reality. There's so much more that circumcision of the flesh also indicates and maybe we'll talk about that in my next study. We'll see. But for now, I just wanted to share that with you. Those of you with me in the live class, is there any part of this particular question that you'd like to add to or um, a question that you might have about being circumcised in Christ or even physical circumcision as it pertains to uh, the Passover celebration or anything like that? Now is your chance. So I'll stop and give you guys a chance to speak if you'd like to. So if you are faithful, this is for Nate. Yes. If you are faithful and loyal to Christ, so that is circumcision of the heart, right? And that means you will, that there is salvation. Absolutely. Is that correct? Absolutely. The way you just described it, I couldn't have said it better. As I understand it, what you said is biblically accurate. Your circumcision is to be saved. Uh, your circumcision of the heart means that um, you have received Jesus as your Savior, and 
He has taken up residency within you in the Spirit, of course. He uh, dwells within you, according to Romans chapter 8, by the power of the Spirit. And so therefore, because your heart has been circumcised, God sees you as faithful. He, God, God sees you as um, a child of Abraham, right? A son of, of, of Abraham. You've been brought into the family. You've been born again, to use that language that we find elsewhere in the Gospels, right? Um, so circumcising Christ is nothing short of, of receiving Jesus as the one and exclusive way uh, to God the Father. What this means, though, what this implies is that if you have circumcision of the flesh like a traditional Jew, but you have not yet been circumcised in Christ, then your covenant membership is limited to the earthly or the fleshly or the temporal, um, whatever word you want to kind of fill in to picture this idea that you have a covenant status in God's eyes. You are a son of Abraham as well, but it is limited to the physical. It's limited to the fleshly. It's limited to the temporal. It's limited to the earthly. And on judgment day, if you're a circumcised Jew, circumcised in the flesh, and you meet God on judgment day, and he looks at your heart and it's not been circumcised yet, it doesn't have the blood of Messiah there, then I'm sorry. God will not allow you to enter into eternal life with him. Instead, the alternative will be waiting for you. And I know that sounds harsh. I know people are going to write in and they're going to give me thumbs down on my commentary, uh, on my videos, and they're going to tell me, Ariel, um, you know, God loves the Jews. God, God, God has an, a never-ending plan for the Jewish people. God's going to save all of Israel. God's, you know, God's got a plan for Israel some way, somehow. But as I understand the scriptures and the gospel, and I'm saying this because they need to hear this, they need Messiah as well. Circumcision of flesh is just part of the of the equation and part of the answer. Like you said, Renee. They have to have circumcision of the heart. And that feature, by the way, circumcision of the heart, is not, as we're going to see in the next video, I think, it's not something that's um, uh, confined to the New Testament only. It's not something that is a New Testament only feature, like many Christians perhaps have been taught. You know, circumcision in Christ and becoming a Christian, you know, that couldn't happen until Jesus came and died on the cross and things like that. And many of them perhaps have been, have come to the mistaken idea that um, God really didn't talk about circumcision of the heart in the Old Testament, but um, I don't know if I brought it up in this in this um, commentary. Um, no, I didn't bring it up in this one, but uh, in, in other commentaries, just suffice to say, because I can't find the, uh, the, 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 the reference off the top of my head, I know one of them is in Deuteronomy. Um, God actually does talk about circumcision of the heart in the Torah. He tells Israel, circumcise your heart. Be circumcised. Um, circumcise theirs for your heart. I think it does show up in the next commentary. Uh, so, so, so yeah, it's something that God has always envisioned for Israel. So they have no excuse, this whole circumcision of the heart. Even if Jews today are going to complain and say, nah, you guys have your circumcision of heart, but we have our circumcision of flesh. I'm sorry, but that's not biblical. It's not one versus the other. God actually envisions the, 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 the total man when it comes to Israel, and both are important. Now, should Gentiles receive circumcision of flesh? That's a very difficult question to answer with a yes or no, um, without uh, adding some 
clarification. Maybe we'll talk about that after the final video if you guys are open to it. But for now, I'll just leave off. So I hope that answers part of your question there, uh, Renee. That was a great question, by the way. Anyone, anyone else, in the, uh, those of you who are in the live class with me, the other students, um, participants, uh, any questions or comments from you guys? No? Okay. All right. In the um, written commentary, I've got the topic, what does it mean to be circumcised in Christ? But actually, that's not one of the videos that, that we talked about. The, the video that we just watched is um, the power of a circumcised heart, um, which isn't actually covered in the written video. The written uh, commentary. The final video, I was like, where'd the final video go? The final video is entitled Circumcise Your Heart, Deuteronomy 10.16. So we'll talk about that um, in the video. So listen to this last video. And then uh, the last part of the written commentary is what does it mean to be circumcised in Christ? Uh, uh, so I didn't, sorry, I didn't mean to confuse you. Yes, they are kind of all interrelated. Uh, the power of a circumcised heart and things like that, uh, which would have been doesn't show up in the uh, the written commentary. Slight difference between those two there. All right, so ne nevertheless, let's watch the last video. It's pretty short. And then after that, we'll open up the mic for one last uh, round of discussions, okay? This one's really short, too, as well. Three minutes. You guys ready? Here we go. Welcome to A Minute or Two with the Word. I'm your host, Torah teacher Ariel, where every week or so, we take a look at a relevant passage of Scripture together as Jews and Gentiles in Messiah. I talked about the power of a circumcised heart in a recent YouTube video, but the topic is so vitally important from a whole Bible point of view that my subscribers asked me to record a second short video to make the concept crystal clear. Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 16 reads, And now, Israel, what? Does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your forefathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples, as you are this day. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. Did you notice the final verse in what God was commanding Israel that day? Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. But, wait a minute, many might object. I thought heart circumcision was only a New Testament feature. What is this heart circumcision that Moshe is describing? Actually, I firmly believe that there's only one type of heart circumcision, and it is the same throughout the entire Bible. Heart circumcision equals genuine faith in Hashem, which equals faith in Messiah Yeshua. God was commanding Israel of old to have genuine faith in him as their God, which equals genuine faith in the Messiah that Israel would learn about in the very words of the Torah that God was giving to them. Indeed, did not the first part of the passage command Israel to fear the Lord your God, to 
walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul? Every genuine Christian would agree that all of these descriptions match those of a genuine New Testament believer in Yeshua the Messiah. So, next time you read through your Old Testament, just remember that God's standards of faith and obedience are consistent from one end of the book to the other end of the book. Love God and keep His commandments. And especially remember that the only way to fully love God and fulfill the righteous requirements of the Torah is to circumcise your heart. Okay, and that's the final video of the six videos that we uh, had set for the schedule tonight. So, um, in closing, just to remind you, we looked at all of these particular topics. If you go back to my um, watch, uh, follow along with me on the screen right now, we looked at this question, are Israel and the church the same thing? Does God still have a plan for Israel? And what we've discovered, at least from my perspective, is that depending on how you use the word Israel, Right there's some a bit of equivocation there, or the word church. Then, in my understanding, there, a case can be made that the church is that part of Israel described by Paul as the remnant, those within Israel who have come to a place where they understand who the Messiah is and the power of the Holy Spirit. Um, uh, bringing life to that part of Israel. Indeed, it's a remnant part now, so it's a smaller part as compared to the whole. But in Paul's understanding of, of end times, one day the smaller part will overtake the larger part, and therefore, in his mind, all Israel will be saved. So corporate Israel will one day be able to call themselves uh, saved Israel. But for now, there's this anomaly and this unfortunate blindness on, on Israel's part where she has rejected Jesus in, in large part, and therefore most of Israel's in darkness, and they're, therefore they're not part of remnant Israel. They are part of Israel, but they're not part of remnant Israel. By the same token, we saw in that video that genuine Gentile Christians do not form a completely separate body, according to Paul. No, if I understand his olive tree picture in Romans 11 correctly, the wild, wild olive branches are grafted into the family tree of Abraham. So the tree is Abraham's family, and the root would either be Jesus, or we could say the root is um, the patriarchs, or we could say the root is the covenant promises made to the family of Abraham. All of that's kind of tied up together in this idea of the root that's supporting um, and nourishing the tree. The point is, Gentiles are brought into the family of God, into Abraham's family via faith in Messiah, and that places them in a direct relationship with the Jews who also believe in Jesus, and this relationship equals remnant Israel. Therefore, it's remnant Israel, which is the body of Messiah, which is the, the um, of which Christ is the head. And so, um, this is the bride, and the bride of God, and um, Yeshua being the husband. 
and um, uh, or God being the husband, depending on how what metaphor you're sp- spinning at the time. So Israel and the church, on the one hand, they are the same thing. On the other hand, they're not the same thing. There's no replacement theology going on, but we have to be careful we understand how the word Israel is being used uh, in any different context. Uh, second video, should Christians celebrate Passover? My understanding is, yeah, they should. And why not? Because they belong to Israel. And since the Passover is part of the Torah instructions that are given to Israel, and since the remnant of Israel is comprised of Jew and Gentile Messiah, therefore, according to this logic that I'm drawing out, the Torah, which includes Passover, applies to Christians. Make sense? Okay. Besides, Paul tells us, keep the feast in in Corinthians. Third video, what does Paul mean when he says, do not let anyone judge us in regard to keeping the Sabbath? How do we messianics interpret Colossians 2.16? We learn from that video, according to my understanding, one understanding, by the way, there's more than one that I think kind of works with this, but the one I'm working with is that um, Gentile Christians of, of Paul's day would have felt judgment from unbelieving Jews for either keeping the festival as Gentiles, in other words, they were illegitimate uh, uh, festival uh, participants, Sabbath participants, Torah participants, illegitimate because in the eyes of the traditional Judaisms of Paul's day, um, legitimacy was gained through one's affiliation with Israel at the ethnic level, at the legal uh, Jewish level. And since these Gentiles hadn't converted into, into legally standing Jewish identity, then they really had no right to keep Torah. It was outside of their um, membership obligation or, or permission. They weren't permitted to keep Torah in, in the eyes of the unbelieving Jews. So they were being judged for keeping Sabbath. Alternately, we could say that the verse is talking about the way that they were keeping it. Don't let anyone judge you for the way that you're keeping it. Not necessarily whether you are or are not keeping it, but um, if they were keeping it in a different form of halakha that was different from the ones that were judging them, you know, the ones that were that were judging them were maybe keeping it more, maybe more mystically. That's a different way to look at the passage. I think Tim Haig holds to that position, but I break with with Tim Haig and uh, see the passage as a different way. I think there's a lot of historical precedent to understand it the way that I uh, explained it. The fourth video we looked at was, what does the Bible say about Christian liberty? Um, freedom is a strong theme in the Passover story, and I'm hoping that that was a, a, a way to explain to you that um, Christian liberty is freedom from sin. It's not freedom from Torah obligation like it's commonly explained in many Christian circles. It's unfortunately explained that way. If you ask your average religious Jew is keeping the Torah bondage, of course they're going to say no. Keeping Torah is a privilege that God um, invited Israel into, this partner relationship of, of, of spreading righteousness throughout the earth by keeping the Torah. So keeping Torah is not only our obligation as Jews, as Israel, but it is our blessing. It's unfortunate that the Gentile Christian Church has historically inherited the idea that Torah equals bondage. And therefore, when they talk about Christian liberty, many times the discussion is freedom from the law. But I explained in the video that that's not the best way to interpret Paul's understanding of the phrase freedom, especially as he uh, details it in the book of Galatians. The fifth video was um, the power of a circumcised heart. God wants us to have a circumcised heart. And the sixth video ha- uh, uh, captured the same thing. So those two rolled together form the um, explanation of circumcision of the heart is something that God has always envisioned for Israel. And therefore, when Gentile Christians place their faith in Messiah, they fulfill that commandment 
to circumcise their heart. Abraham, our father, had a circumcised heart, in fact, prior to having physical circumcision. Go back and read Romans chapter 4 and Galatians chapter 3 all over again. Read those two passages together. Abraham had his heart circumcised before he was circumcised in the flesh. What does that tell you? That tells you the proper relationship between those two types of circumcision. So, that'll do it for our study for tonight, our what I called Movie Night Live 2021. I'll give one last opportunity for those of you who were with me in the live class to share your thoughts or questions on any of the notes that we covered tonight. If not, then I'll dismiss the video, folks. Let them go. Close down the, uh, the, the, the YouTube video. But I'll leave the um, Skype room open for us to have any further chat. So, any questions or comments? Anything you'd like to share? Okay, I'll take the silence as a no. All right, um, it's been my distinct blessing to be with you guys tonight. Let's close in prayer, and then uh, we can discuss these uh, topics a little bit later on as well, if you'd like. Abba, I bless your name, and thank you for the um, challenge of presenting these topics with the students live and those who watch the YouTube videos and listen to the iTunes podcast and read my commentaries online. Thank you for the shared fellowship that I enjoy with those who meet with me week after week. Lord, I bless you for your Passover season. I thank you that even though I'm, I'm in a country right now where it's difficult to have a Passover Seder uh, just because of logistics and, 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 and opportunities, nevertheless, I can enjoy um, my Messiah right here in my apartment and uh, even have just a, a Passover uh, with, with just a very small amount of people. Um, but Lord, I'd like to be able to uh, meet with people uh, on a large scale. And so I'm, I'm, I'm blessed to know that uh, there are people around the world that are holding Passover uh, seders and they're recording them and I can watch the streaming or the, or the video after the fact and join in in that way. Uh, thank you, Lord. Bless them where they're at. Continue to, to give them um, a supernatural insight when it comes to the text and, and understanding who they are in Messiah, the power of the circumcised heart that they have. Uh, bless them for helping them to um, uh, identify with Israel at the remnant level and walking into the faithfulness of keeping Torah and the Passover and the other festivals. Lord, continue to draw us together during these end times. Protect us from the evil all around us, this this wicked pandemic that's uh, here we a year now into this thing, and it's, it's just not going away. Um, but we trust in you. We know that you have not uh, relinquished control. Um, we know that your plans are perfect. We trust in you, and we will continue to thank you for your protection uh, and for your provision, uh, for, especially for those of us who are unemployed and looking for work. So thank you, Lord, for, for raising us up and giving us a voice and giving us opportunity to share our witness. And with that, we'll be careful, Lord, to give you the praise and the glory. B'shem Yeshua. Amen. That concludes our show for today. It is my desire that this continuing series of teachings will assist the average non-Jewish believer or new Messianic Jewish believer in his desire to become a more mature child of God. And now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth, and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations, as it is today. 
circumcise your hearts therefore and do not be stiff-necked any longer because the Torah is written on the hearts of all who truly name the name of Yeshua as Lord and Savior it is meant to be followed to the best of our ability we have no reason for fear of condemnation or the trappings of legalism my name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi the intro and outro song were written, produced, and performed by Ryan Kingsley. For more information on contacting Ryan, you can reach me by email at yeshua613 at hotmail.com. That's Y-E-S-H-U-A number 613 at hotmail.com. Or visit our website at graftedin.com. That's graftedin.com.